welcome back to the Sit and Ponder podcast, where we seek to think more deeply about the scriptures and to ask the tough questions. Take a minute, grab your favorite warm beverage, and get ready to dive in. Welcome back, folks. Let's mine out some more stuff related to what it means to love one another. Okay, let's just dive right in. Love means that we exercise Jesus-like generosity, which exceeds normal human generosity. Let's begin with a scripture from Luke 12. Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. All right, so this is a passage where Jesus is tangibly saying to sell your possessions and give to the needy. And in doing this, you're going to provide for yourself money bags that don't grow old. You're going to store up for yourself treasures in heaven in the resurrection reality to come after death. The context of this passage in Luke 12 is very, very important. This comes after two texts that I think are very relevant to the meaning of this text. The first text tells them not to worry about their daily needs of food and clothing because of how generous God is with his children. So he says, do not worry about what you will eat or drink or what you will wear. For if God cares about the lilies of the valley and the birds, how much more will he care for you? So if you are a person in need and you're not sure where your next meal is going to come from, your next piece of clothing, for example, then you shouldn't even be worried about tomorrow, even though you're in need because God cares for you. There's another passage right before this called the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12. In this text, a rich fool says to himself, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So a question is begged. So this is the context of the text I read a minute ago, Fear not, little flock, sell your possessions and give to the needy. What does it mean to be rich toward God? So Jesus first encourages them to trust in God's daily provision for needs. So much so that you're not even looking to tomorrow's needs as a subject of worry or concern. He also tells them that it is foolish to store up your extra wealth for your future ease, luxury, and relaxation. Trusting in the security of wealth as a way of making yourself and your soul feel better. Both of these texts emphasize the importance of trusting God alone for your future financially. 
I believe the parable of the rich fool challenges many of the modern, even quote-unquote Christian, reasons for retirement. What does Jesus suggest instead? And that is where we're going to look at the passage I read at the beginning. He suggests something to do in the present time as opposed to focusing on the future. He gives a way to store up treasures for oneself in the future. The catch is that this future is not the one on earth like the rich young fool is saving for. We are to invest in the resurrected existence in heaven. Jesus tells us to sell our possessions and give the money to the needy. If you think about what this means, folks, this literally means that we are lowering our standard of living potentially in order to help those who have current needs. If you put these two texts together, you kind of get this idea. Someone else's current need warrants more attention than my possible future need or ease or comfort. Recognizing this and acting on it is a way of storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. It also says that such a mentality is a way that we treasure that hope in our heart because Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So when we decide to store up treasures in heaven with this type of generosity and trust in the Lord, we're actually starting to treasure the hope of the resurrection in our heart. So is this a literal text? Well, the early church took this text about selling possessions and giving money to the needy seriously and literally. In Acts 4, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, this is the part I want us to key in on. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So they literally, folks sold their land and their houses and gave the money to the apostles to distribute to needy brothers and sisters. This was an integral part of them loving one another. They took Jesus' statement here about being rich toward God literally. There's a specific example given in that same text that says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Look at how beautiful this is, folks. What a display to a dying world of God's generosity when they see us loving one another with this level of benevolence and giving. There was not a needy person among them. How profound is that? What sourced this provision? We know from Jesus' teaching that we just read about in Luke, that this is sourced from God's provision of the needs of his children. 
We can trust so much in not only our need for food and clothing tomorrow, but our future needs throughout our entire life that we are able, because of that generosity, because of God's deep love for us, to be generous in this way to others. So how does this tie specifically into a love? Well, the, the Apostle John makes that tie for us in 1 John 3. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So here John introduces the idea that generosity is by nature sacrificial, and we're going to elaborate on that in a little bit later. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Guys, John is saying that practically love manifests itself when we sacrificially give the world's goods to our brother in need. And if we close our heart against needy brothers and sisters, then how can the love of God abide in us? And he says, let us not just love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love is an action word, and the particular action being mentioned here is giving the world's goods to needy people. Love means that we are moved in the heart to be generous like Jesus was generous with us. God is generous, so generous. If we're going to love one another just as Jesus loved us, then we need to be generous just as Jesus was generous to us. First Timothy says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these things we're content. Guys, did you hear that? We are literally to be content with food and clothing. We don't need luxuries. We don't need excess. We don't need any of that because we brought nothing into the world and we can take it out. We need to be content with our basic needs. And we know from Luke, which we read earlier, that God will provide these things for us. And we don't have to worry about getting them even tomorrow. But then he contrasts this in 1 Timothy with another group. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And then he instructs the people who end up having a good job and making some decent money, for example. As for the rich in this present day, charge them not to be haughty or proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of wealth. Don't believe in the concept of financial security, guys. It's a lie. But instead, fix your hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. These rich folk are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And so, Paul echoes exactly what Jesus has already spoken about and what John spoke about, is that when we have wealth, we're as to look at it as an opportunity for generosity, and we're supposed to look at it as an opportunity for the type of generosity that Paul and Jesus and John view as the proper definition of generosity. 
Paul echoes what Jesus taught. We're to be rich in generosity and good works. Our generosity is sourced by a contentment with food and clothing. That means we're free to give away a lot more than we often give away. Because if we're truly content with food and clothing or covering, then we'd be content to give away some of our luxury, give away some of our possessions in order to help needy brothers and sisters. We are to not seek to be rich or to love money. It says that God has richly given us all things for our enjoyment. Does that mean that if I buy a Lamborghini that God has given that to me for my enjoyment? That's an interesting question. Or did I just buy the Lamborghini myself? This is a longer meditation for another day, but perhaps it means that we already have everything we need for enjoyment, independent of riches or wealth because of God's provision for our needs, which again is a longer discussion that I won't go into in this podcast. When Jesus and Paul speak about this love source generosity, what's the style of this generosity? How extreme is it? How does Jesus and how does Paul define generosity when they speak about it in these texts that we've just mentioned above? Well, Jesus gives us one indication of what the definition of generosity is by a simple story. It says, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, like a Bill Gates, for example. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him. Teaching moment, guys. Teaching moment. And said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is Jesus' example of generosity, folks. It's one of his big examples. The generous person is so enthralled with the love of God and with God's generosity and so enthralled with the desire to be generous and to show love to others that they're willing to give up their last penny that they have to live on for that day. And Jesus elevates this type of generosity which I would call sacrificial generosity. Sacrificial generosity. Not giving out of one's abundance, but being willing to give just out of the heart because of your trust in God's provision and love for you and your desire to show that love and generosity to others. This is like what we see in Acts 4, that people are actually lowering their standard of living, selling things, choosing to live with less houses and land and other possessions in order to bless brothers and sisters who have needs both locally and abroad. And we're going to discuss that in a minute too. The love-based generosity that we seek is the same type of love-based generosity Jesus had. Sacrificial generosity. Jesus sacrificed his life so we could generously have eternal life. Jesus' sacrifice was sourced by the infinite resources of his Father. So is ours. We are so blessed and loved that the love overflows through us unto generosity like the world has never seen. We are agents of God's extreme sacrificial generosity. Paul echoes this idea when he says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
Giving is supposed to be something we enjoy, folks. We're supposed to be cheerful about it because we're so sourced by God's love. Paul also lays out an example of his definition of generosity by citing another example, kind of like Jesus' example, and it's actually very similar to Jesus' example. We want you to know, brothers, this is in 2 Corinthians, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So what's happening here, guys, is the Macedonians were giving to Paul, but they were also giving to the persecuted church in Jerusalem. Paul holds up these Macedonians, again, as model givers. It says they gave out of their poverty and need. They gave more than they had. They were begging to give, it says. They wanted to give. They had the generous heart of Jesus for their brothers and sisters who were suffering under persecution. Both Jesus and Paul set a high bar based upon the generosity of God of what it looks like to set our own financial security aside to love our brothers and sisters with sacrificial generosity. Not just giving after we get all that we want and save for our comfortable retirements month after month. We don't do this to punish ourselves, but because we know it will make us like Jesus and rich toward God. We are still investing in our retirement, by the way, But we're not investing in our earthly retirement. We're investing in our resurrected retirement. American financial planning, guys, is so far from this, in my opinion. I want to invest, but I want to invest in eternity. Scripture says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do we believe this? Do we know the blessing that comes from trusting God's generosity toward us for the future? Do we understand that taking the risk of giving today out of our need and love-filled heart is totally worth it because of how it connects us with God's story and heart? Let's dream about this for a while. Suppose we're generous to our enemies and love them. What if many of us choose to live in smaller homes and drive smaller cars, minimalist cars, so that we can exercise more generosity? What if we used our homes and cars and tools mainly to share and bless people with needs? What if we were okay with them getting broken or even stolen because we just love being generous so much as a way of people seeing Jesus through us? Imagine that only one person in a community needed a pickup because they shared it with everyone. Imagine letting people live with us, single moms and families. Imagine us hosting people regularly for meals. Imagine us not even really longing for luxury or ease in this life or even worrying about our retirement. Imagine that our generosity is so great in our fellowships that we see each each other and our children as our retirement plan, if needed, which we may not even need to retire, instead of needing to storehouse cash or hang out in a nursing home long term. What sources all this type of love-based generosity? The love of God. 
and the awesome generosity of God to us that's guaranteed. We believe so much that God sources with, with love that it overflows and we want to spread it as fast as we can. This generosity springs from cheerfulness and joy. It's not just some standard in our mind. It's passion to show love and kindness and to see God's nature on display. We want folk to see by how we live how much he sacrificed to be generous. We are responding to his love and generosity in order to love and to be generous just as he was to us. Think of the themes of the last three podcasts. We're to love just as Jesus loved us. We're to forgive just as God in Christ forgave us. We're to give sacrificially and cheerfully just as Jesus sacrificially gives to us under eternal life. All right, folks, let's end there for now. I know this was a bit of a long one. This is your host, Tom Wells, signing off. Next time, we'll discuss how loving one another means that we have a oneness like God is one. Until then, be generous.